Welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, where we talk brews, news, and what you should choose. Enjoy unique insights from beverage industry experts, big and small, from startup to stardom. Get to know your favorite brews. And now your host, Andy Pedic. Hello and welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, episode 002. Today we're talking to Tommy Brooks, marketing director and head beer buyer for Zeke's Pizza Restaurants in Seattle. You may be asking yourself, why are we talking to Tommy today? You'll find that Tommy, in addition to being a pizza lover, is one of the most knowledgeable and connected beer professionals in our market. And Zeke's, as an establishment, has become the foremost supporter of nano and craft breweries breaking out into the competitive marketplace. It may come as a surprise, but many of your favorite local breweries would probably tell you that they might have sold their first ever keg to one of the Zeke's locations throughout the Puget Sound. You're going to hear this entire story from Tommy during the episode, so without further ado, let's just go ahead and dive in. Episode 002, welcoming Tommy Brooks. Disclaimer. The following content has been created for the listening pleasure of Universal Brew Lovers. Our program is recorded live and unscripted. As such, any opinions or facts stated during these episodes are purely organic in conversation and personal views of the industry experts we interview. If you disagree with any stated information, please understand this program is created for the enjoyment of our listeners. We are unbiased and intend to promote the industry as a whole. If you don't like any content presented herein, please find another program rather than sending us nasty grams via comment or email. If you're among the other 99% to enjoy our show or someone who would like to contribute in any positive way, be sure to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Now, please enjoy the show. Okay, I'm here today with Tommy Brooks, the director of the beer program and business operations for Zeke's Pizza in Seattle, Washington. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Great. So, Tommy, I'm going to go ahead and let you explain a little bit about Zeke's history, what, how long you've been here, what your role is. I know a lot of people in Seattle are familiar with Zeke's. It's one of the most successful restaurant chains in the Puget Sound but they don't maybe know what the business is all about, what the beer program's about. We'll get into that in more detail a little bit later. And also, for all you listening, uh, apologies for the clamor in the background. We are actually at the flagship location right now, watching the daily happenings of Seattleites enjoying pizza and drinks. So, without further ado, Tommy, tell me about Zeke's. Sure, so Zeke's has been around since 1993. Uh, It was started by a couple of guys from Seattle, so a homegrown company, and they started with a hole-in-the-wall location in the Lower East Side of Queen Anne by SPU, and uh, it's grown to this day to 13 locations, and we want to continue to grow within the within the Washington State community and, and Pacific Northwest. So in the launch week of this Big Brew Theory podcast, uh, we're focusing on nanobreweries, uh, the smallest of the small. As a matter of fact, people, you know, use the word craft kind of synonymously with all breweries that are small. Mm-hmm. But, and there's no, you know, absolute metric on what is each level, but it's based on the batch size rather than the annual output. Right. So below domestic is craft, below craft is micro, below micro is nano, and I guess below nano now is pico, but picos are like <laughs> unlicensed, you know, that's, right, right. that's basement stuff. So anyway, we're talking about nano brews uh, because it's the kickoff week of our podcast uh, to support a festival that we're putting on on May 18th at Within Soto from 6 to 10 p.m. showcasing these startup breweries, nano breweries. So 
Zeke's Pizza has been around for, since 1993, mm-hmm. right? And they've been known for excellent pizza, cool atmosphere, supporting a lot of local events. But over the past five, six years, Zeke's has gotten really involved with being at the forefront of emerging breweries. And not just having a cool craft selection, but actually working directly with the smallest breweries that don't have wholesale distribution, that don't have you know mass market channels, your mom and pops that deliver directly from the shop. I go around and talk to restaurant and bar owners and everyone tells me that they have stories from the 90s that they knew Manny, you know, Manny from Georgetown, Manny's Pale Ale. They knew Manny himself. And this is the kind of thing where someday these people are going to be saying, hey, I knew I knew the guy from whatever brewery, and odds are he may have sold his first ever keg to Zeke's, which oddly enough, you know, it's not the beer shops, mm-hmm. it's not the, you know, 80 tap big downtown places, it's Zeke's Pizza is kind of the innovator when it comes to these tiny breweries. So can you tell me a little bit about what it's like dealing with so many vendors, because you work with the little guys, mm-hmm. and how you kind of came about wanting to work with them? I mean, having breweries on that people have never heard of can be a risk. Sure, yeah. So uh, just a quick background on my story with Zeke's. I started as a delivery driver 12 years ago now, and I got into a car accident, couldn't drive anymore, started working in our call center taking orders, delivery orders, and working at our our headquarters here, I got to know our owners, Tom and Doug, pretty well. And um, our beer program, we've always supported local breweries, but we also were supporting you know, a lot of the large, we were pouring Bud Light still and that kind of stuff, and a lot of the mainstream stuff from the craft brews at the time. It, it, we were serving beer in frosted mugs. So I, I've always been a beer geek ever since I was living in the Bay Area, drinking Mendocino beers and all that. And I saw an opportunity for Zeke's to improve on the beer front specifically. And so I just kept going up to uh, Tom and Doug and telling them that we have an opportunity and we need to improve on the beer front and to their credit and I feel very lucky about it they gave me the opportunity to kind of take the program and run with it and since then it's evolved quite a bit every year and one story that always I always go back to is I'm drinking the Hop Tropic from Rubens right now which is made by Rubens for Zeke's I met Adam at Finney Neighborhood Association's Winter Beer Festival. Um, I think this was five years ago. Adam wasn't even a commercial brewer at that point. Somehow he got into that festival. He actually won the best of show for, I think it was the Imperial Rye IPA at the time. And I gave him my card and I was like, dude, whenever you get licensed, I want to be the first place in town to pour your beer. And it's, it's incredible. And so that was one of those managed stories from back in the 90s. That's come to fruition. Now Rubens is probably at least in my opinion, the best brewery in the state. And, and it exploded. It's they, only been they really like three have. or four years. Yeah, I mean, dozens upon dozens of medals. And I mean, we're so honored to be able to have Hop Tropic as part of our program. It's kind of the backbone of the program. But, you know, I take the opportunity whenever I can to seek out beer. I, I beer travel sometimes to the dismay of my fiance. But uh, when we go on vacations, she's the last thing she wants to go to a brewery. But I need to meet all these, to try all the new beers out there and meet the brewers. And it's something unique that Zeke's can bring to the table in the, in, in the community as well, is kind of feature these these upstarts and develop these relationships that I really think can be mutually beneficial for Zeke's and, and these small guys out there. So this is kind of an odd question, but 
There are 13 Zeke's locations yeah. spread out all around the greater Seattle market. Mm-hmm. And they're in several different demographic areas. So, sure. you know, I assume that, like, the Woodenville location, it's easy because a lot of beer is really close by. And the Ballard location and uh, the one at Finney Ridge. But is it hard to sell, you know, say you have a Hellbent Brewing from Lake City. Sure. And you're selling that at your West Seattle location where people mm-hmm. don't go to Lake City very often. Yeah. If you have to kind of choose brews by store location or do you do kind of universally across the banner it's more universally across the banner and what i've what i've noticed and the feedback i've gotten from customers and our staff is local is a little bit more broadly defined in seattle than it is in a place like say portland oregon where if it's not brewed on the same block it's not local yeah you know if it's pacific northwest and that being defined i think for zeke's purposes is washington and oregon specifically it's it's local and most people, I don't think, care about the micro-local element that you're talking about. Right. The super close. Right. So what are you, I mean, this, this show, this is our first beginning, so we don't want to get roasted in the comments, but uh, we're about being unbiased and not super uh, opinion-driven. But what are the, the hot newest breweries that you've tasted? What are they doing that you're liking? Mm-hmm. Throw out some names that people might not be familiar with. Sure. Got to throw Matchless some love. Um, We were just talking about those guys. Um, They're down in Tumwater. They just opened up their tap room, but they're making all kinds of great styles and doing some really weird, wonky stuff that's just really good beer. They're not making a bad beer. And they're beer guys that were affiliated with Three Three Magnets. Magnets. Yes. Um, Pat Pat Jansen's their their head brewer and co-owner and Grant Bolt's the other guy. It's it's a two-man show down there, but... I think you're going to see them popping up more and more around town and in, in the area. Propolis is out of Port Townsend. I think they're the best brewery you've never heard of or people have never heard of. They're they're just doing a lot of barrel-aged beers using local herbs and ingredients from Port Townsend. A lot of sour stuff, um, but in a really unique way. I already mentioned Rubens. They're not small. Big Block, we're pouring right now. Um, they're out of Sammamish. That, he is literally brewing out of his garage. But he's keeping up with production for our current spring menu of the raspberry blonde. He's using fresh Northwest raspberry juice, so it's not cloyingly sweet or anything. But he's making, again, a wide variety of styles very well. Lantern is another one I throw out there, especially on the the smaller scale. He's Chris at Lantern's making a lot of really great Belgian-style beers, um, really unique approach. So would you say that these guys that are so small that they're selling only on draft, they're driving around in their own van. Yep. Do they have to do stuff like barrel aging or like a, you know, Bavarian style specific, or do they have to have such a niche to, to differentiate themselves? No, I don't think so. I think what it comes down to is just making whatever style of beer you're making, it, it just needs to be quality. I don't think you need to jump on the latest bandwagon or trend or or anything like that certainly not there's everybody's doing the barrel aging thing but i don't think you need to do that to be successful i think you can make just a killer pale ale and whatever actually jellyfish down in soto they're they're a new brewery and they're making a their their flagship beer is an amber it's a red ale it's a hoppy red ale like that's their flagship and they do it really really well so I think it's more about just what, what ends up in the glass and how quality it is as opposed to trends or styles specifically. So we have a lot of breweries that 
have exploded in the last five years. Rubens is an excellent example. Sure. A few years earlier than that, Black Raven out of Redmond. Yep. You know, these have become pretty massive regional brands. Bailbreaker. Bailbreaker, goodness. That Top Cutter IPA is one of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. It seems like the beer industry is one where there are so many people entering the market at all times. And we're in a unique market here because Seattle, Portland, San Diego, Denver, they're among yep. the the craft innovators. We're out indexing the country and craft brewery. Right. We're taking share away from the big brews. And we've had hundreds open. I mean, I think there's like 400 breweries in Washington now right. on the Brewers Association site. So my question is, the beer industry seems like something that always wants new. You know, if you're not mm-hmm. brand new or hyper-local, not quite so extreme as you said, like Portland. Sure. But if you didn't, if you know, you aren't putting out small batch releases every month or you're not the guy that's right down the street, people have a hard time being interested because I can go to a bar and try a new thing every single weekend. So right. here's my thing. I kind of feel like in the beer industry, in a market like Seattle, it's impossible to have stasis, right? Like you can you can have year-over-year year consistent sales, but I feel like everyone's either growing or declining. I agree and with I'm that. I'm trying yeah. to figure out – I mean you have ones where, you know, on a large scale, you think of somebody who sells like – 10,000 barrels for 10 years in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your ones like Mac and Jack's and Manny's where they're on at every single place in the Beauty Sound and that hasn't changed. You know, they started distributing to Eastern Washington. You know, right. they're pretty much on every hand on the state now. But those are, you know, you have your Bud Light, Coors Light, Manny's and Mac and Jack's mm-hmm. or both. Yep. Um, and then the next tier of ones who I would call kind of the steady, you know, been a community for a long time, like Pike or sure. maybe Bellevue Brewing, a little smaller. Yep. Where, you know, they sell bottles, they sell outside of Seattle, but it's really been a cornerstone of Seattle for years. And then the small, small ones where they only sell out of their place, what would one of those be? Maybe like Naked City, sure. something like that, where, you know, they've been around forever, but they've kind of remained the same size. Right, Maritime. But maritime, right, Hales. Yeah. You could you could argue though, and not any of those specifically. I'm not calling out any of their sales. But sure, you could sure. argue that if you have this family community business, it's the same every single year. Even if it never declines in sales, the craft market is growing so rapidly. You could make the argument that you're losing market share. And so, if you weren't a brand like all of those that has a beautiful tap room and a restaurant mm-hmm. and all of this, right? You could eventually, once the market hits a higher saturation, start to decline because there's just so many other options. Sure. And those ones are all examples of ones that are going to last forever because they have lasted for the last 20 years. But my question is, for these little tiny guys, you know, when breweries close every year, they just kind of disappear quietly. Sure. And for every dozen that are opening, you know, there's two or three that are closing. Mm -hmm. So are these nanos some of the ones that have kind of the failure to launch? Or, you know, do they kind of hit a life cycle where they get so big and then it's either quit your day job, put a couple million bucks in? Right, right, yeah. How does it not work for a nano brewery? Well, yeah, I, I can't speak for them because I'm not on that side of the business, but it's it's definitely an interesting time. And I, I really think it's case dependent. It depends on what these brewers and owners want to get out of the business. Um, you know, for a lot of these guys, they're, they're not looking to get rich. Right. You know, they're, they're looking to make great beer and have a have a decent lifestyle and support their families um for others they want to become commercial and quit their day jobs and make and grow so i i really think it's case dependent i think what it really does come down to is two things the, the beer is always first the, the, the 
quality of the product always comes first in terms of what, what's going to be successful. But also, a lot of these guys are don't don't necessarily like or want to be involved in the business side. So getting getting to that growth, and that's them telling me that, not not speculating. Well, and here's maybe a more properly framed question. So Washington is a very unique market for alcohol. We're the second largest wine producing region in the mm-hmm. in North America. You know we are the largest apple producer in North America. Washington and Oregon make up 75% of the -hmm. the continent's apples. We're the first state since the repeal of prohibition to privatize spirits. And we have this massive beer community that is growing every single day. So what do you think, you know, a lot of these people work for Microsoft or Amazon. And like you said, these are passion projects Mm -hmm. are on the side. They don't care if they're a farmer's market, if they're commercial. They want to leave it to their kids someday. Right. What proportion would you say of the, you know, nano microbreweries are people that have a full-time day job versus, you know, a couple of college buddies whose dreams have always been known as sure. startup kind of deal? Yeah. I would say the, the vast the vast majority that I know, but it's still such... Um, Is it because they have disposable income? No. I think they're scrapping by and probably in a lot of cases losing money mm. because of the passion project. Right. Well, it can be done. You know, I, I have a friend, uh, Jeremy Eubanks, is the founder of Flycaster Brewing in Totem Lake in Kirkland. Okay, yeah. And he works for Microsoft, and nicest guy, and he's recently made changes in the ownership over there. But, you know, they're a great example. They've got this little place in Totem Lake next to all these car dealerships and stuff. You know, there's right. not a lot of nightlife out there, but they have <laughs> live music a couple nights a week. They've got all these sure. cool local artists. They've got all kinds of events. And the thing that I noticed about them is they started with a one-barrel system. They right. had a full-time brewer that could make one half-barrel keg a day. And so he was brewing five or six days a week to make their six different varieties. Sure, yeah. And they're only selling out of their one location. Mm-hmm. But if you're selling, you know, 130 pints off of a half-barrel and you're selling them for six bucks a pint, you know, you're making a couple grand on each keg because yes. you don't have the wholesaler middleman and the retail middleman right. you know, all the way up. Yep. So, you know, he's actually employing three or four people off of one keg a day. And he works at Microsoft. The beauty of the tap room. Right? Yeah. And he's out fishing and playing with his kids. And, you know, I mean, they have a really sustainable business because they know who they are. Versus some of these guys, myself included, have tried to, you know, conquer the universe and make boil oceans, as they say. Sure. And, you know, my first product, I got into 10 states in the first year. And I realized, I realized people were selling my product in Michigan, but no one in Seattle still knew who we were. So, you know, you kind of get to the point where wholesale distribution is really difficult. Bottles and cans are really difficult. There's only a few manufacturers. You know, Crown and Ball Corp own, they're the Red Sox and the Yankees of the canning world. And they can control the pricing. A lot of people don't have canning lines. So you have to order a billion cans, even if you do have a canning line. brutal. So I have two questions. Uh, The first one is the people that you work with have a product where... You know, it doesn't come in a pretty can. You know, you you run 13 restaurants. Sure. And so, at best, they've got a tap handle and maybe a cool name on the chalkboard. Mm-hmm. So, how do they differentiate themselves when they come in? I mean, they can have crazy names. Sometimes they can't spend 50 bucks on a tap handle. Sure. But these people come to you and or you go and find them and, you know, you buy their their kegs and then how do people at Zeke's respond is it just that they've been conditioned to know that you're going to have new and great things yeah 
So I think a lot of that is how, well, again, going back to what's actually in the glass is what matters most. So if it's quality, people will respond to that. And I, I also think that it's how you present it at the retail level, too. I mean, we go to great lengths to make sure that whatever product that we get from the supplier, whether it's through a distributor or not, directly from supplier, um, that is presented the right way um, in, the, in, in its peak condition, you know? And so making sure that the lines are as clean as humanly possible, that we're using the proper glassware, it, it's presented well on, you know, our chalkboards and the restaurant, the environments, right? Right. If you take care of all those basic things, you know, the right dishwasher, um, beer clean glassware, all that stuff matters. And if you, if you present the beer in the way it's designed to be presented, everything else takes care of itself. And I, I, the other thing is that I think, gosh, 90% plus of our beer sales are draft. We're in a draft town. So shiny looking cool can doesn't really matter as much for us as it does in the off-premise world um and brands like the manny's and mac and jacks have sure. never had packaged product right absolutely setting the stage for that yeah you can sell draft only and make a really awesome living and right be a, a cornerstone of our our entire city although georgetown is expanding into package right, right now but but yeah i think the retail uh, at the retail level we have a lot of responsibility to make sure that the that the beer is presented really well and we we go to great lengths to make sure it is Um, so I think that's what 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 matters most at the end of the day so last year I feel like was the year of well the last two years have been the year of the adjuncts right yep and first it was the explosion of the shandies and stuff sure I mean everyone had seen ads for lining kugels before whatnot or they've heard of a shandy or they had a grapefruit IPA maybe sculpin I mean that stuff's dynamite it's like 17 bucks for a six pack. Yeah. But combine the grapefruit and the habanero, by the way. Oh, God. So in the last few years, you know, everybody was doing lemon and everybody was doing grapefruit and there's been a lot of yep. orange peel. A lot of citrus. Um, obviously, Blue Moon and Shock Top are really popular and that which style's been really cool for a long time. But, you know, then last year it went into strawberry and raspberry and yep. every other thing. What would you say is the 2017 kind of hot? trend what have you seen a lot more of? you know it's fun it's kind of going back to basics is what i'm seeing balance uh accessibility uh pairing with food craft loggers at zeke's at least has been the biggest um eye-opener for me in the past year and a half um craft loggers are rivaling our our ipa sales which uh you know for us in the pacific northwest we know ipa is king right hops are king and and the craft loggers are again just neck and neck with their IPA sales. And that's awesome, I think. I love a good craft lager. And I think, yeah, just generally speaking, people are going back to basics and kind of learning from what people of good brewers have been doing for a long, long time. It's kind of interesting because I feel like, you know, the 2010 to 14, say, the, the period before the era of fruit mm-hmm. was the hop overdrive, right? Yeah, I mean, we, kicking your teeth. We have a ton of IPAs in the Northwest, and... We have access to the best hops in Yakima. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, now that Seattle Beer Week's such a big deal, Portland Beer mm-hmm. Week's such a big deal, there's all these collaboration brews. Right. There's these, you know, hop competitions. It's not as big of a deal of just pack 18 hops in there. And there's so many, right. you know, I, I won't call out Rogue, but it's a good example of, you know, they have the series where there's one hop, two hop, three yep. hop, four hop. I mean, how many mm-hmm. people can, I can tell you what an Amarillo tastes like, right. you know, versus a, versus a Cascade, but 
when you have 18 of them in there, you know, who knows? Right. And I just used, I mean, Rogue does it excellently. I just use it because they have that one line that specifically calls out. Well, you're also seeing a lot more single hop beers coming out. Right. And, single you know, the, 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 the smash beers, that is, that's definitely another trend. Um, also, single malt, local malts, that's, that's another trend that I'm noticing. And that lends to that lager popularity as well because I think everybody's talking about which hops in this beer. I think the next conversation is going to happen probably next year. It's already happening a little bit. What what are the malt? What are the malts you, you're using? And are they local? Right. Skagit Valley Malting. Um, oh, Got to give those guys a, a shout out because they're doing some really cool stuff. They were uh, sampling next to me at Pike's uh, Choco Fest, the Valentine's yep, event. Sure. And they were doing uh, malted ice cream with Bluebird and and Skagit Valley Malt. Oh, man. And that it delicious. was like a milkshake. I mean, it was... I, I didn't even talk to anyone. I just kind of snuck over and drank those for yeah. three hours. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Also, alternative grains. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people doing interesting things with alternative grains and gluten-free. Ghost Not fish. For ghost fish. You know, Brian's crushing it. Yes. And I was... I was had the opportunity to speak on a panel with him last week at a business conference, and I was hearing about you know the crazy alternatives they're using to their grains. Mm-hmm. And we went into a really deep conversation about um, how the different varieties of malts are kind of the next phase, and how that's going to start being such an important piece. But I really like the single variety hops. If you won the lottery and started a brewery mm-hmm. right now, what what would you do? Wow, I, you know, it's funny, I've never really thought about that because there's so much good beer being made. <laughs> but if I had to answer on the spot, I, I guess I would probably do loggers, even though there's it's hard to make money with loggers because it takes up so much tank space for so much time and you can only sell them for so much. But that's just where my palate's heading personally. And yeah, I would probably do something in the vein of a chuckanut right. kind of model. That's interesting. I grew up in Spokane, and there's a brewery over there called Orlison that does right. just lagers. Yep. And they had red lagers and gold lagers and several different styles. And we actually did a collaboration with one of my cider brands, and we did snake bites and all that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. And it was interesting to have access to so many different types of lager. But I really like the sort of back-to-basics and then kind of adjustments on, on one style like that. Anyhow, well, thanks so much for talking today. I mean, the whole point of this launch week of our podcast and non-disclosure here, I mean, uh, the media company putting out this podcast, my business, is promoting a series of festival events this year in Seattle, and we're doing meetups, and we're really trying to work for advocacy and the beer community. Um, so we'll talk really quick about NanoFest. Uh, we're putting on a festival. It's the first one in Seattle. There was uh, one in Portland, I believe, last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, NanoFest, too, in Portland. NanoFest is uh, highlighting the best of these small startup breweries. You'll get to see several things you've never had before. You'll get to speak with the owners. Um, And we're also making it a lifestyle expo. So we'll have local gyms, yoga studios, real estate agents. It's kind of a movers and shakers. Drink some beer, play some cornhole. There's food trucks. It's kind of a fun, young, professional thing for Seattle. So Zeke's is uh, one of our presenting sponsors, and Zeke's is sponsoring the Zeke's Corner. And just as they've fostered opportunities for uh, these small breweries to get into the marketplace and the Zeke's restaurants, they've actually decided to step up, and Tommy convinced the team to sponsor a table that's going to provide beer for the breweries that are too small to make it. You know, it's on a Thursday night. 
And some of these people have one employee or two, or yep. even if they have a tap room, they have to have somebody manning the place, or they're too far. I've got people coming down from Snohomish County out at mm-hmm. Gold Bar and Monroe. I've got people coming up from Olympia. So it's really cool. Thank you, by the way, for doing this. It's our pleasure. Yeah, um, we're excited to we're not at- show any favorites or anything. We're selecting sure. these based on who you partner a lot with and who you know couldn't make it on the schedule this year. Can you tell us about the three you have signed yeah. up so far? Yeah, um, we've supported all these guys, by the way. Go Brewing out of Bellevue, Postdoc Brewing out of Redmond. Lantern has their own booth Oh, now. right, yep, right. Yep. Oh, Big Block. Big Block. Big right, Block right, right. out of Spanish. I had that last time. Yep, yeah. Yep. yeah, so all breweries we've we've supported, and I, I personally got to know all the, all, all the guys at the breweries, and they're all making killer beer, and uh, we're really excited about being part of the fest. So when you go to NanoFest, you'll get to go to the Zeke's booth, and Zeke's will be purchasing kegs from these little guys, bringing them there and laying them out so you can try them. These are all breweries that they all support at the Zeke's restaurants by design, mm-hmm. and you really need to try. I had Big Block for the first time last time I was here. Tommy got me turned on with them. I'm actually going out and interviewing them in a few weeks. So, you know, you really need to come out and try some of these, go to Zeke's, and, you know, Everybody loves pizza, and you can always count beer on... Beer and pizza. Beer and pizza. <laughs> you can always count on trying the best uh, local beers and ciders at the Zeke's restaurants. And uh, before we sign off, I want to thank you. After we talked last time, I actually went back and looked at sales records from October of 2013. And as a matter of fact, uh, my cider brand that I started in Woodenville, we sold our first six-barrel keg to Zeke's. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yep, I. Uh, That's a cool. One thing. of my partners went out and did it, so I, I had to go back and look. I think before we sold one out of our own tasting room, we sold one to Zeke's. That's incredible. Full circle, so, huh? Yep, yep. That's it very was, cool. Uh, very cool. Pretty neat. So, having been on the production side of this business too, and represented several products and made several products, I actually had the experience to sell my first ever keg to Zeke's, and I'm really honored now to be able to help all these other breweries and. Uh, promote the industry so tommy thanks so much is there anything that you want to tell people before we go does zeke's have any events coming up this summer is there any specials you know weather's getting warm it's time yeah, to sure uh, well we we are participating in seattle beer week um we have a couple things going on we're, we're getting a lot of the bail breaker official um seattle beer week beer fresh off the farm ipa we're gonna be pouring that at all locations and you get a nice little discount on that beer if you pair it with our seasonal menu, which features fresh pineapple and spam, polarizing toppings. But spam and fresh pineapple go well with IPA. And we also collaborated with the Pike Place Market Foundation, Pike Brewing, Uli Sausage, and Beecher's Cheese to make a Pike Place Market Pie. It's delicious. And 9% of the proceeds from that pizza and the Pike Place sale that we'll be pouring all week are going to the Pike Place Market Foundation. Nine, 9% because of the ninth annual Seattle Beer Week. Oh, and one more thing I forgot to ask earlier. Uh, would you tell us about a couple of the Zeke's exclusive collaborations you've been doing? Sure, yeah. Um, well, we already talked about Hop Tropics. It's a, basically a Northwest IPA, nice and light, pairs really well with food. That was the way we designed it, Adam and I. And an upcoming one is with Snowdrift Cidery out of Wenatchee. Oh, Tim's the best. Yeah, he's Tim making some stuff. amazing cider, arguably the best in the state, in my opinion. But that's going to be a, a really good cider. It's called Apple Blossom, and we're releasing that for our summer menu starting uh, in early June. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, you're easy to uh, dig down into. Tommy, who supports everyone but loves Rubens and Snowdrift. <laughs> <laughs> 
anything wrong with that? Oh, God, I'll never say what my favorites are, but Hailbreaker IPA is definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I will definitely be in for that cool beer week one. Okay, so check the show notes on the website here for the link to NanoFest. Uh, Look up on Eventbrite. Check out nanofest.com. Use the discount code BREWLOVE, B-R-E-W-L-O-V-E, to get 50% off your ticket. Uh, $10 instead of $20. The event is May 18th from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m. at Within Soto, just south of the stadiums in Seattle, Washington. My name's Andy. I'm here with Tommy Brooks, and we're signing off for the Big Brew Theory. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for listening to the Big Brew Theory Podcast. We'll see you next week with more of the best local brews and news. Cheers.